have short hair. Oh, yeah. Look at you go. I know. It looks super cute, I think. Wait, did you dye your hair? No. Okay. No, I did not. My boyfriend's mom wanted to put some highlights in, but I said, baby steps. I'm already uh, chopping it all off. Are you considering doing a little highlight here and there? This is great pod talk. So I had the haircut experience that I have always wished to have ever since I was a wee babe, which is that I just went in and said, do whatever you think is best to my hair. And she asked how much could she cut off? And she asked if I wanted to do any coloring because she thinks a few highlights would be good. And I said, no, I, let's just baby steps do the cut for today. But I always want to like abdicate creative responsibility for my hair. And it was just as great as I expected it to be. Oh, that's so good. Plus, you know, it culminated in me getting proposed to. So, right, right. Well, well not by the mom. No, <laughs> no. Now that would have been a twist. Wait, so like, was the okay, okay. So, okay, well, let's just start out by the hi, how am I? is the most important thing to talk about because I got proposed to yesterday. Yeah, you got proposed to yesterday. You kind of hid the punchline in there. Right. Okay, so here's how it went down. All right, all right. Um, I went to get a haircut at my boyfriend's mom's salon. Boyfriend mm. and now fiancé. This is something we do quite regularly, go get our haircut there. So he got his haircut, and then I got in the chair, and he went out to run some errands and pick up some Dunkin' for everybody. And I was getting my haircut, and it's really crazy that this is how it all worked out, because actually, while I was sitting in the haircutting chair, I started a conversation with his mom about my suspicion that he might propose in the next year, because we talked about it in general terms recently, which is something we do. We just talk about whether, like, what we want for our future and, like, whether we're still on the same page. Wait, so you gossip with your boyfriend's mom about when your boyfriend's going to propose? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, we all get along. I love that. That's great. That's perfect. Yeah. I guess I don't have a lot of models of in-law relationships, but certainly the most positive I've ever had. No, that's perfect. That's amazing. Yeah. So we were talking about that. And then she was like, where would you want to have it? Like, how would you want to do your hair? What kind of food would you have? What kind of dress would you We were just like talking about wedding fantasies the whole time. Very mm. big gender validation. Oh, yeah. And she didn't let on at all but she took a before picture of my hair and then she um she got me set up to take an after picture she like did my makeup and everything because you know she does makeup and hair for a wedding so she wanted to like put me together so she could do a before and after picture of the hair so while i'm getting my makeup done my boyfriend gets back with the duncan and i go sit in the chair to take the engagement photo and have like the before and after and i'm all prettied up and everything and he comes over with my bagel from duncan and i'm like oh like hold on a second i think your mom wants to take a photo right now and she's like oh no no like he can come in and i was like what is what is that? why uh, why are you trying to feed me a bagel in the middle of this and then instead of a bagel in the bag was the box with the ring and he proposed and then his mom took engagement photos immediately and brought us out little glasses of champagne because they collaborated on the whole proposal and they had been planning it for a whole month it was oh, a complete surprise oh. which is great because i was wondering we don't really go out so i was like how is this man gonna get me out of the house <laughs> like without my immediately being suspicious wait 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 the ring box was in a Dunkin' Donuts bag. Uh-huh. And he also got me a real bagel just because he wanted to make sure I wasn't 
I didn't get my hopes up for a bagel and get disappointed. And this is like, to me, extra romantic because when we first started dating, we had a really hard time learning each other's communication styles. And we had this formative conversation where I told him explicitly all the ways in which he could make me feel uh, like appreciated and heard. And he wrote all of those things on an index card that he keeps in his wallet. Um, which I love very much. And one of those things was just like bringing me little treats when you come over to my house. So for a long time, he was working nights. And when he was coming home from the night shift, he would bring me a bagel with strawberry cream cheese and Dunkin'. And as I was waking up and he was going home to go to sleep, it was one of the first ways he sort of like showed his consistent love and appreciation for me. I love this. This is great. Very beautiful and symmetrical. Picked the perfect ring just exactly what i wanted it's it looks like an emerald of some variety or? yeah it's an emerald that's in a what is this is this called a princess cut no is it just called teardrop teardrop pear it's a pear shaped little emerald set in a rose gold band with some diamonds or something around it um it's a very beautiful i just love it i feel like a pretty princess Everything about that uh, engagement, it feels so nice. It feels very Rhode Island for some reason to me. Mm -hmm, I know. And it was, they planned it because I'm going to visit my family in Texas next week. So they planned it so that I would be able to tell my family when I went home to visit them. And also they planned it to be on the final night of Hanukkah. So every year I'll have a special Hanukkah God. memory. Oh my God. Oh yeah. my god. And they're not even Jewish. So it's like the thought, the consideration. Yep. The love, the romance. Oh um, well the, yeah. then you you must have done the Shehekianu, you know. Only time you do it on the I did night. not I did not say Shehekianu, but I did eat that bagel that he brought me. <laughs> All right, that's amazing. So the oh. first thing you did as a fiance was consumed was to eat a, a, well i drank a glass of champagne also drank a glass of champagne and ate a dunkin donuts bagel plain bagel with strawberry cream cheese yeah plain bagel with strawberry cream cheese just it's like the most like needy lady kind of bagel i feel like <laughs> <laughs> well i am a needy lady we all have needs bitch. No, i love it um i love it i, love it. I just always like we didn't really have bagels in my house growing up. And when we did, I always wanted strawberry cream cheese on them because you're a kid. Like, what could be more delicious than a fruity cream cheese? I understand. I was really into black raspberry ice cream when I was a kid. Oh, wow. That sounds great. Yeah. So I'm just thrilled. Like, I love that I was truly completely surprised. Like, I did not have an inkling until he was getting down on his knee that it was happening. And that, wow. that takes care and planning. Wow, you did it. You did it. Mm -hmm. I did it. I made it. So now into, uh, I mean, I, I'm i not in a rush. I'm, I'm happy with having a long engagement, but now into wedding planning and fantasizing. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Well, I'm excited. I want to go. Know. I want to go to this oh, wedding. Yeah. And I have a bunch great. of cute engagement photos now. Let me send you a cute engagement photo. All right, you can all see right. how cute I look. Text me this photo. We took a bunch of photos, but I think this is my top. Oh, my God. Right? Look at you go. Adorbs. <laughs> and I love it. I, I love, I love uh, the boys. Uh, just um, the shirt, the haircut. 
I know he wore the shirt because he knows I think he looks really good in flannel shirts. Mm-hmm. He wore a shirt that says, I love my girlfriend. Um, well, now he has to throw that out. You know. I know, I guess so. <laughs> That's funny. He just got it for his birthday from his mom, which is very funny. Yeah, just a, a cute and beautiful experience. I'm very thrilled to, to be a fiancé. Oh, my God. And to have the proposal that I always dreamed of. He looks like, you know, like the like high and tight but still scruffy member of like some popular touring famous band. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, he looks good. He's actually like hot. He's actually really hot. It's not always obvious when he has long hair, in my opinion. I always see it, but it only shines through, in my opinion, when he has short hair. Good looking dude. Good looking dude. Good looking man. That's right. I'll send you a photo that I took of uh, Grunge Girl. This is a fun one. Check that. Check it out. Oh, what I'm seeing is a photo of Grunge Girl in a little hoodie that has been tightened so that only the tiniest portion of her face is poking through, along with an incredibly large pair of circular glasses. It is (sighs) very adorable. Yeah. Well, I feel like you've been proposed to twice in your life, right? Well, I have been proposed to twice, but I only married one of the people. I was proposed to a long time ago in a proposal that I hated on the 4th of July. Um, Awful from a long, long time ago, ex pre-transition. And then my ex partner, who I was actually married to, never proposed. It was all totally practical. There was no like magical proposal, which is why it was important to me to have a magical proposal. And that dream has now been fulfilled. So chop, chop, Michael, you got work to do. I know, I know. I gotta, fuck, I gotta do something. (laughs) Michael, hi, how are you? Oh, what does it even matter? You know, what does it even (laughs) matter? So true. Yeah. um, Who cares? Let's talk about me more. Yeah. What, what, what could I possibly tell you that is as good as getting proposed out of a Duncan bag? (laughs) Well, it doesn't have to be a competition to be as good as it can just be what it is. It I agree that it are. doesn't have to be. But it but it is. But it is. There's got to be something I can tell you. Oh, yeah. There's something I can tell you. Tell me something good. I discovered something about Grunge Girl. Okay. Which is that she used to be, you know, for an 11-year-old, uh-huh. very good at yo-yoing. Oh, I wanted to be really good at yo-yoing. I mean, I feel like there was a trend around that time yeah, sure, of like sure. yo-yoing. Uh, God, I wanted to be good at it, but I was so bad at it. Well, she came in third in some like local competition. What? And like won a bunch of yo-yos and stuff. So that is so cute. So uh, a friend of hers, a work friend, gave her like a shitty yo-yo as a gift. Mm-hmm. And she kind of like showed me some of her shit. And I was like, damn, that's like pretty good. Wow. Well, then we went down a yo-yo rabbit hole online to see, you know, how, how has yo-yo technology changed in the last 25 Right. Years? I remember my older brother getting some fancy yo-yos during the yo-yo craze of our childhood. Well, shit has really gotten fancy and crazy <laughs> these days they got yo-yos that'll turn you gay now so yeah uh we went down that rabbit hole and uh i got her a pro yo-yo as a gift and you're and inside the yo-yo will be the engagement uh, <laughs> would you walk the dog with me forever you shoot the moon 
of my heart. Oh my God, you have no idea. They have crazy tricks now. Crazy, crazy. Yeah, I'm sure there's all kinds of stuff that I can't even imagine that you can do with yo-yos. Yeah, and uh, it's all, it's mostly guys. Um, yeah, mostly right. nerdy the, dudes. The hacky sack crew. Totally. And they, they do their tricks. Sackers. They do their tricks on, on the, in their videos on YouTube, and it's all like to like, intense techno or like yeah i was music. thinking dubstep is is what i imagine yeah yeah they're all like whoa look at this cool thing it it really yeah. is it become like it's like doing cat's cradle that, that's the kind of shit right. they do oh, these days another thing i was obsessed with i love that shit i had a good yeah one. yeah yeah i had like a little book of all of the different tricks you could do with it felt a little insecure because i like associated those string games with the with women you know but i, right. I liked them at the mm -hmm. time quite yeah. a bit yeah and that's how you turned out how you are. Um, yeah. Ah, Cat's Cradle. Cat's Cradle turned me gay. Yeah, um, the book. Kurt, Kurt Vonnegut turned me gay. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's the big, that's the big, whew, big development, you know. Yeah. French girl, yo-yos. Great. We're, we're coming to the pot in a good place today. I think so. I think there's positive energy, positive developments. Okay, well, I'm curious to see what you'll think of what I've brought. So, continuing our trend our train of thought mm. our theme from our previous episodes but not from our immediate previous episodes but from episodes long ago michael do you remember our much beloved series to be or not to rush be the story of rabbi shimon bar yochai oh yeah yeah that was a long time ago mm -hmm. okay so what do you remember about the story of rabbi shimon okay caves mm -hmm. sons yep. and caves Okay, yeah. okay, okay. So um, I got the right rabbi. Basically, Romans are coming to kill the sages. Shimon Bar Yochai is hanging out with his wife. He leaves his wife behind, and him and his son go and hide in a cave for a really long time. Some multiple of 40, probably, days, <laughs> years, something. Mm -hmm. And then, like, a tree grows, and that's, like, their signal that they can get out, and there's other details. How do I Yeah, do? you're right on the money. So, the brief summary is, it starts out with all the bros hanging out in the Beit Midrash, discussing the topic of the day, which is the Roman Empire, and all the stuff that they do for the world. The Pax Romana, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai basically says, like, fuck the Roman Empire, they're bitches. And it gets out that he said this because this person, Yehuda bin Gerim, related it. We don't know if he related it directly to the authorities or if he related it like to his family and the authorities found out sort of passively. But it gets out because of Yehuda bin Gerim. And so the authorities come after him for talking smack. He starts out by hiding in the Beit Midrash, being fed by his wife. He does go to the cave and stay there for 12 months, which his son... Uh, buried up to their necks in the sand and then they put their clothes on to say their prayers and then they get naked and bury themselves in the sand again while they're in the cave while they're in the cave because they don't want their clothes to wear out what did they stay like that for 12 months or is that just like a yeah that's every day for 12 months 90 percent of the time buried up to their necks in sand all right okay yeah wow. i know i know and god creates a carob tree and gives him a spring of water which i think is a not a good thing, but actually an indictment because they were misogynist and they rejected the way God was actually providing them through Rabbi Shimon's wife. Anyway, go back and listen to To Be or Not to Rashbi because we have 
great episodes on this story already. Anyway, they come out of the cave, and this is the famous story that is commemorated in the holiday of Lagba Omer, which happens in the counting of the Omer between Passover and Shavuot. They come out of the cave, and they are so offended to see people plowing their fields instead of studying Torah that everywhere they look, they destroy things with their gaze, possibly via laser vision, possibly via some other mechanism. But for some reason, wherever they look, the severity of their gaze causes things to be destroyed. And God says to them through a voice from heaven, what the fuck? Did you come out of this cave just to destroy my world? Like, go back into the cave. So they go back into the cave for another 12 months. When they come out again, his son, Rabbi Elazar, still destroys everywhere he looks. But Rabbi Shimon repairs it after him. And so it's the problem is resolved. They run into a very sweet guy who is carrying myrtle branches, who teaches them about having a myrtle branch to remember and a myrtle branch to observe the Shabbat day. It's like a very sweet thing where basically they realize that other Jews love mitzvahs too, and not everyone is at, has to be as intense and buried up to their necks in sand for 12 months out of the year as them. Classic tale. Okay, so at that point, does the sun stop destroying things with his eyes? That is never addressed. Okay. All right. That is never addressed. His father just says, my son, you and I suffice for the entire world. And that's the last we hear about that particular laser vision experience. Okay. So we have this classic dream logic Talmud story. Mm -hmm. So this is how I have always learned the story. This is where the story always ends. I always have learned this as sort of like the sweet conclusion and lesson of the story. But it turns out there are several more paragraphs that oh. occur after this that okay. may change our perspective on the matter. So Rabbi Shimon has a couple interactions after this, but the part that was most interesting to me continues on Shabbat 33b going through to 34a. And it starts with Rabbi Shimon said, since a miracle has transpired for me, I'm going to go and repair something. As it is written, and Jacob came whole to the city of Shechem and graced the countenance of the city, Genesis 33, 18. Basically, Rabbi Shimon is saying, God gave me the carob tree and protected me in the cave. Our father Jacob did something nice for the city where he went after a miracle was done for him. So I'm going to follow his example. And he's going to go fix something up. There's this little discussion. Rav said, Hole in his body, hole in his money, hole in his Torah. And he, Jacob, graced the countenance of the city. Rav said, established a currency for them. Shmuel said, established marketplaces for them. And Rabbi Yochanan said, established bathhouses for them. So there's just this little miniature debate about what did Jacob do for the city of Shechem? Some say he established them a currency. I don't know why that would be considered a good deed, but there's arguments to be made, I suppose. Yeah, maybe they hadn't. Maybe they were struggling with the current existing barter system and they hadn't thought yeah, of like he, a, he created the equivalent of the Fed of Shechem um, and, right. <laughs> you know, raised interest rates to uh, control inflation, established marketplaces or established bathhouses, both of which are much more practical. Anyway, Shimon Bar Yochai is going to follow this example of our father Jacob and go do something nice for the city so that he can say thank you for the miracle. So Shimon Bar Yochai said... Is there something that needs repair? And they said to him, there is a place where there is uncertainty with regard to ritual impurity, and the priests are troubled by being forced to, to circumvent it 
So basically, there's a place where we're not sure if there are bodies or pieces of bodies that have been buried. Okay, And right. because a priest can contract impurity by walking over a grave, they have to walk around this place all the time. So this is a, a big civic planning obstacle to the city. For more on transmissibility of Tuma from the ground, go see our episode, Courtyard Babies. Right, right, A classic. Right. So he's going to figure out what the ritual purity situation is. So he says, is there a person who knows that there was a presumption of ritual purity here? Is there someone who like knows whether anyone ever did treated this place as if it was pure in the past, who we could maybe base a precedent off of? And an elder said to him, here, Bin Zakai, a.k.a. Yochanan Bin Zakai, other important Talmud character, planted and cut the truma of lupines. You know what lupines are, Michael? No. What's a lupine? They're a beautiful flower. Google it really quick so you can see how cute the flower is. Um, If you're familiar with blue bonnets, they are very similar to lupines. They might even be a kind of lupines. I know they're like in the same family. I have always known them only as an ornamental flower, but apparently there's like edible varieties that have big ass seeds. Oh, okay. In them, which I had no idea before I read this Talmud Sidya. So basically... Yochanan bin Zakai, who we know to be a good guy, he put his truma, which is a priest, something the people give to the priests to help support them, basically a priestly portion of an offering. He planted his lupines here. So we know that there must be at least some part of it that's pure because he wouldn't plant truma in impure ground because that would be contaminating the truma. And that's something we always want to avoid doing. Okay. Makes Um, sense. It's not it's not a truma. So Rabbi Shimon says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. He also plants lupines and he takes steps to improve the city by examining the ground. Anywhere that the ground is hard, he pronounced it ritually pure, as certainly there's no corpse there because you couldn't have dug it up to bury the corpse. And everywhere that is soft, he marked it. Basically, wherever lupines could have been planted, Mm -hmm. he plants them and marks it as pure because he knows it's pure because... Yochanan ben Zakai would have been able to plant lupines there. This is all just sort of like a side interesting halachic thing to the real climax of the story. But he does this whole process basically of figuring out, okay, wherever Yochanan ben Zakai could have put lupines, that's how I can fix this civic planning issue. Um, and in that way, he purified the marketplace so that even priests could walk through it. So he makes a ritually pure thoroughfare for priests to be able to navigate this. I see. Okay. Place, okay. which we now are only learning halfway through the story is a marketplace. Got it. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know about the method that he's, in, that he's using. Yeah. But, I'm uh, sure there are subtleties to the, the halakha here of the ritual purity that I'm not getting because it's not like I'm an expert on agricultural purity laws, but that's the basic picture. Okay. So they've done this whole process and you're not alone in your suspicion because a certain elder said, in ridicule and surprise, Ben Yochai has purified the cemetery. Basically, like what he's saying sarcastically here is like, you can't, this is like saying he koshered the pig, you know, right, like right. he's saying, like, there are corpses everywhere here. You can't fucking purify this. Like, who is this fucking joker in this city who thinks he can fix this problem? What a dumbass. And Ruby Shimon got angry and said, Had you not been with us, or even if you had been with us, but you weren't counted with us, what you say would have been fine. Basically, if you hadn't been a part of the public works crew 
that undertook this project, or even if you had been a part of it, but you didn't take a vote on the purity issue, then you could have been free to talk smack. But now that you were with us and you were counted, they will always say, if competing prostitutes still apply makeup to each other, all the more so that Torah scholars should be able to collaborate. Woo! Okay. <laughs> Basically, Shimon Ryochai is saying, by mocking me after the fact, you are making it seem like Torah scholars can't even get on the same team. And we know that even in this city, there are sex workers who are competing for the same business, who still help each other by putting each other's makeup on. And we can't even be that collaborative because we okay. are disagreeing on this after the fact. The thing that I like about this little aside, one is just like a wild comparison. But two, I really like that it gives me a window into the lifestyle of sex workers of the Tanitic era. It's so rare in Talmud for us to hear about what a woman is doing, yeah. much less what a woman is doing socially with another woman, much less what a woman who's a sex worker is doing with another woman. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting. He's also saying like, hey, even the prostitutes work together. Right, We're even these sluts. Them. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's being a piece of he's being a misogynist piece of shit as he has been previously in the story. That's the theme of this episode is Shimon Bar Yochai didn't learn as much as we fucking thought. Also, he's not addressing the arg. He's just saying, hey, look, man, this isn't the time or place to bring up your right. Arc. You need to fall in line. Fall in line. You're making us look bad. It's like, yeah. All right. I think there's still dead bodies. Everywhere. I mean, there is to me, there's something to be said for like, if you protest this ruling you should have protested it before you participated in it well only if that was the explicit set of rules we were using you know it seems like shimon bar yochai here might be just whipping out these new standards that didn't apply to the situation <laughs> in the past i don't know how the whole situation unfolded i'm i'm just saying there's something to be said for the fact that it seems like what shimon bar yochai is objecting to is like not that he disagreed, but that he basically voted yes on the committee and then afterwards undermined the verdict, which got basically it, got it, got it. invalidates. I mean, it doesn't technically invalidate the whole process, but in people's minds, it basically makes them think like, oh, so we can't trust this and we shouldn't walk through here. And this whole process was for nothing. Uh, yeah. OK. 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 I'm, I, I, I follow. I follow. This is not even the pinnacle of Shimon Bar Yochai has not learned his lesson. Because after he says this about the sex workers putting makeup on each other, which I think is very cute and sweet, he says, he uh, all the more so that Torah scholars should be able to collaborate. Next, we read, and he directed his eyes towards him and the elder died. What? He kills him with a look. And wait, there's one more thing that will really drive home the message that Shimon Bar Yochai learned nothing from this whole experience. And Rabbi Shimon went out to the marketplace and he saw Yehuda bin Gerim, the one who had let slip that he was talking shit. And Rabbi Shimon said, this one still has a place in the world. And he directed his eyes towards him and turned him into a pile of bones. Oh my God, what the fuck? So Logbo Omer is a lie, basically. So that was a fucking lie. Could this be like a funny story that the students of Shimon Bar, Bar Yochai tell each other to like make fun of their, you know, kind of yeah. tightly wound... Uh, it could... 
it could be. This is my take, okay, on this story. And I've spent, a, especially after reading this um, this epilogue, which seems to undo all the character growth yeah, of our yeah, previous yeah. tale. What I have concluded is that maybe this story is not really about the events of this story. Maybe it got included in the Talmud because of other interesting things we learn in it. We learn about Tanaitic perspectives on the Roman Empire. We learn about what was the political climate for Jews like. We learn about like rabbi-wife relations. We learn about honoring and remembering Shabbat, you know, each having their own way to be done with the guy with the myrtle branches. There's all these like little things that are sort of incidental details to the story that are more interesting than the events of the story themselves. And that is my current take is it's all for details like learning that sex workers collaborated to apply makeup to each other, that this story exists. And Shimon Bar Yochai just like happens to be there. And the entirety of Jewish history has gotten this story completely wrong by making it about turning Shimon Bar Yochai into a hero. Hmm. I mean, I, th- I do think we m- may learn things that you're talking about, but if the purpose of the story I don't know, because the people writing this story down, or, well, not necessarily writing it, but perhaps the people who first shared the story orally Mm -hmm. with their students, I presume the students also knew the details, those kind of, um, you know, daily life circumstance details. Well, I think it's like, I think it's like a time capsule. They didn't know what was going to make it to the next generation, especially with the political turmoil and the destruction of the city being so fresh in the memory of the population and also things like this purification process for the marketplace is a whole sort of like mini halachic lesson and debate in itself we don't debate it here but it like opens a lot of weird doors and questions it does i wonder if the story was all composed at the same time Mm -hmm. that is another great question i don't have any clue about the textual criticism perspective on this but sometimes it does have that sort of sewn together feeling (laughs) Very strange, very strange. I had to bring it because, you know, we leave the story of Shimon Bar Yochai in our old episodes in the classic place. And I never learned this epilogue until I taught it at uh, Shomala's tour for Palestine this past week. And it just really like changed my whole experience of the Shimon Bar Yochai story. Like it changes the whole shape of the thing. Yeah. Hmm. So that's the answer of to be or not to Rashbi is not. Don't. Yeah, don't. Don't be. Don't. Don't, Rashbi. I was also thinking about caves with sand that you can bury yourselves in the sand. That's That seems mm-hmm. kind of rare. Maybe a beach cave you can do that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Well, I also was like thinking about caves and caves I always think of as having rock floors. Yeah. Then I was thinking about like the Dead Sea Scrolls, which I'm pretty sure came out of a cave, a beach cave specifically because they're by the Dead Sea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like maybe beach caves is just a phenomenon you know sounds great that we're not as used to i'm not as used to at least no i'm not yeah. um except in in storybooks wow it's uh it's uh the story has really left me um just kind of in like a weird maybe the point of the story is to leave you in like a meditative state yeah it feels very um full of sound and fury signifying nothing if i may say so it feels like a spectacle that like has no it feels like the the season finale of the Shimon Bar Yochai show, but we haven't seen the previous 11 episodes 
that would make this all make sense. <laughs> I do like, though, the image of the two prostitutes helping each other out with the makeup. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I like that. It's like a very rare glance into a particular facet of life in this time. And I like I liked learning that there's edible lupines and about like reverse agricultural engineering purity, which is pretty cool. I yeah, think. that is nice. And it's just wild that not only does he fuck up the elder and Yehuda bin Garim, but he does it in the exact same way that he and his son were fucking up the world. You know, yeah, yeah like yeah. it could have been they could have had him like utter a curse or whatever. You know, they could there are a million ways they could have had him take these people down. But it is in the exact same way that he just got like disciplined for by God fucking with the world. And he just goes right back to fucking doing it like Hmm. chill, just chill. Well, I don't know. I've been watching a fair amount of like apocalypse movies recently. Maybe it's inevitable. Maybe we're all Shimon Barrio High at the end of the day. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? Yeah, like we're all uh, agents of destruction that never learn our lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, that's one take on the apocalypse. Anyway, that's my morsel for that's today. That's really nice. That's really nice. Um, it's I, I know I don't have like a big cathartic reaction to show for. No, it's fun. That's the whole point of the story is that it just leaves you feeling weird. It's like you missed a step on the staircase. That's how it leaves you feeling. It's just like, what the fuck just happened to me? Yeah, it's real weird. Real weird. Yeah, hits you in your intellectual funny bone. Anyway, listeners, I hope you have enjoyed this um, bizarre epilogue to to be or not to Rashbi. You can check out our previous episodes on Rashbi and also Courtyard Babies, which was relevant for this. They are all on our podcast feed. And there's even more juicy stuff in our patron feed. You want to join us at patreon.com slash hi, how are you? And without further ado... Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.